I, um, as Andrew, my son, said, have been impressed upon by the Spirit to speak to you about praise being the pathway to the presence of God. And um, I'd like you to imagine a picture with me this morning, if you could, not from a ground level, but put yourself at a bird's eye view or on an airplane or looking down and imagine, if you will, a major intersection, freeway intersections, two of them crossing. And the name of one highway is the presence of God. And the name of the intersecting highway going the other direction is the power of God, i.e. the kingdom of God. Well, that's what we're going to talk about here for just a little bit. The presence of God intersecting at the kingdom of God and childlikeness is where they converge. Childlikeness is where the presence of God and the power of God converge. I'm going to spend some time in Matthew 11 this morning briefly, but before we do, I want to just ask the question, what is the kingdom of God? It would really be fun if we had time to go around and listen to you tell me what the kingdom of God is. Most of you probably wouldn't want to do that, but a typical answer you would get might be, well, it's heaven. It's where we go, you know, when we die. Everything's going to be perfect. There's not going to be any problems there. That's what the kingdom of God is. Um, Another person would probably say, well, the kingdom of God is when Jesus returns for a thousand years. If you know anything about eschatology, which means the study of end-time events, uh, there's a millennial reign of Christ for a thousand years. So the kingdom of God is when Jesus returns to the earth, literally and physically, and there we have this thousand years of everything perfect, and the devil is, is cast, cast down, tied up, bound up, and we just have this hunky-dory good time. And I'm sure it will be that. And both of these may be just a little piece of what the kingdom of God is. But actually, those are not correct answers. That's not what John the Baptist had in mind when he said in Matthew chapter 3, repent for the kingdom of God is near. That's not what Jesus had in mind when in Matthew 4, the very next chapter, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is near. I love the different translations. The old King James said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And uh, if you're using the NIV, it'll say, well, the kingdom of God is near. I like the message best because it, it actually is accurate. It's actually telling us what the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. Now, probably half or more of you would not have defined the kingdom of God as being present right now. But the reality is the kingdom of God is here. Um, Matthew uses the phrase the kingdom of heaven. Mark, Luke, John, and Paul all use the phrase kingdom of God. But just so we get our terminology correct, it means the same thing. They're both referring, uh, they're all of them referring to the same thing, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom. But John the Baptist preached it, then Jesus preached it, I'm sure that Jesus and John got the language from the book of Daniel, the prophet Daniel. You remember uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he couldn't sleep, and so he wakes up and he calls the magicians, the soothsayers, the astrologers, the necronancers, the, you know, the, all, all those different folks. And he says, I had a dream, and I want you to tell me the dream and interpret it. 
And they said, well, as soon as you tell us the dream, we'll interpret it. And he says, no, you tell me the dream and the interpretation. And finally, one of the astrologers, soothsayers, or a group of them got, and, and I think this is Daniel 2.20 or thereabouts, and they said, no man on earth, no man on earth can tell you and tell you first let us know the dream. Then we'll interpret it. And it's probably true. No earthly man could do it. But what about if heaven was in a man? What about if there was a man of God that was participating in another dimension, another, another ruling domain, and he could do it? And that's what Daniel was. Daniel was a man of God, and of course, he, he not only got the interpretation to the dream, you remember what it was, the huge statue? Uh, I see a couple heads nodding out there. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar had this dream of this huge statue with a head of gold and a breast or a chest of silver, and then a belly and thighs of uh, bronze, and then legs of iron, and then feet of iron and clay. And Daniel heard from God, and he went to Nebuchadnezzar, and he told him not only what his dream was, but he interpreted it and told him what it was. And, of course, they were kingdoms. He was actually prophesying into the future before, uh, you know, it was the uh, Babylonian was the golden head, Nebuchadnezzar, and then uh, Alexander the Great came with the Grecian Empire. Well, there's the Medo-Persian Empire first under Cyrus, and then uh, Alexander the Great was the Grecian Empire, and then, of course, the Roman Empire was ruled by, by senators. But uh, it talks about a mountain, a stone cut out of the mountain, and that stone would become a huge kingdom, and it would subdue all the kings of the world. So I know that's where Jesus and John the Baptist got the language of the kingdom of God, but it was talking about this season of time that would unlock a mystery. In Matthew 10, 7, as Jesus sent out the 12, he said, As you go, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. And then he almost defined the kingdom of heaven without it. Most of us would miss it when we read it. But listen to this. He said to his disciples, he sends them out, and he says, Go preach the kingdom of heaven. Say that it's near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out the demons. Jesus aligned the kingdom of God with the power from another world. He gave the disciples authority to plunder darkness and to perform miracles. Barry, in your testimony, he said, I believe in miracles. The impossible becoming a possibility in our day and our time. In John 18, 36, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is not of this world, but his kingdom can be and is in this world. In Matthew 12, 28, he said, Jesus said, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Could it be more clear? Could it be more clear? If he says, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is upon you. Not only was the kingdom of God upon Jesus as he manifested and demonstrated it through his life, but he said his specific mission was to give the kingdom to his disciples. Very famous verse, Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So that means 
If I'm going to take that literally for what Jesus said, and I do take it literally for what Jesus said, that means my grandson over there, Easton, and my grandson, Coleman, and my grandson, Canyon, and my little granddaughter, Paxton, back there, and each one of you by name, if I would go around this room, fear not, little flock, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom of God. Now, that's a Christmas present. That's huge. That's absolutely huge. So before I start on Matthew 11, I want you to read with me quickly Matthew 18, 1 to 4. Matthew 18, 1 to 4. I've, I've been amazed. I have to tell you, I've studied scriptures for 50 years now. And I didn't realize how often Matthew particularly talks about childlikeness and how the kingdom and the things of God center around being a child. So here in Matthew 18, 1 to 4, I'm in the NIV. It says, and at that time, the disciple came to Jesus and said, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I will tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will you, you don't like to see the word never often in Scripture. It's nice to see the word forever. Whenever you run across the word forever, it's, you know, like this covenant of God is forever or this blessing from God is forever. But it's not very often you run into the phrase cannot, not, and never. Here is one of those illustrations, one of those examples right here. I, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never Enter the kingdom. Just going to let that soak for a while. Now, of course, we know we're not talking about being childish. We're talking about being childlike. We're talking about being childlike. Now let's go to Matthew 11, which is my text chapter. And I'm going to read very quickly 2 to 17. It's a lengthy passage of Scripture. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who's to come or should we expect someone else? That question in itself is, is just crazy because when Jesus appeared as the Messiah, John saw him. And John said, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. John already knew he was the Messiah. But for some reason in prison, he, he might have known he was going to lose his head, but he was doubting. He had fear. He was imprisoned. And he said to his disciples, go find out. Is Jesus really the Messiah? Is he really the king that's to come, the one that we expect, or is he someone else? Jesus replied, not, he didn't reply, yeah, I'm him. He didn't reply, yeah, I'm him. Jesus replied and said, go back and tell John what you hear and see. And I want you to notice he didn't say, go back and tell John what you hear. Oh, I'm going to step on some toes now. And I'm doing it on purpose. Go back and tell him what you hear and what you see. We love a rational gospel. We love a logical gospel. We love an intellectual gospel. As long as we don't have to encounter God, as long as we don't have to experience God, as long as we don't have to see something along with what we learn and hear with our ears. But he says, go back and tell him what you hear and what you see. 
The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd, and he asked two rhetoric questions. Uh, he asked, you know, did you go out to, in the desert to see a reed swayed in the wind? And, of course, the answer is no. Did you go out to see a man dressed in fine clothes? And the answer was no. Then why did you go out to see a prophet? Now he's beginning to talk about what he wants to be. A prophet, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way before you. I tell you the truth. Now, this is an amazing statement right here. I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Wait a second. Abraham, Moses, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. We can go down the whole list, and he says, here's John coming out with camel's hair, eating locusts. Most people thought he was probably crazy. Among those born of women, there has never been anybody greater than John the Baptist. And yet I say unto you, I don't know if that's exactly what it says, but I'm, I'm saying it out loud. And yet, he says, and yet he who is least, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Now, remember, he wants to give you the kingdom. Remember, he said, allow little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom. Remember, he took that child and put him right among the disciples and said, who's the greatest in the kingdom? This, this child. He who is least in the kingdom is greater than John. Kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? kingdom. Two words, the king's domain. It's where he rules. It's where he reigns. That's what the kingdom of God is. Wherever he rules, wherever he reigns, that's where the kingdom of God is. And it's not a future possibility. It is a present reality. You and I can walk in the kingdom of God on a daily basis. We can participate in the life of the kingdom on a daily basis. What Jesus demonstrated when he walked around in life, he personified the kingdom of God, and that's what he expects of his disciples. That's what he wants of us. And all kingdom, he goes on and to say, he says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. Everything that happens related to the kingdom results, first of all, in conflict, fighting, battle, spiritual warfare. That's the penetration into the kingdom always happens through conflict. The kingdom of God is not just the human status quo condition. You have to, the kingdom of God has to break in. The kingdom of God uh, has to uh, move back, separate, part, and make a way when there is no way. All new territory taken for the kingdom of God is one in conflict. 
I remember when we were in Wichita, Kansas, uh, when Jeff and his sister Eileen were going to Mays High School, there was a young man there by the name of Greg. Greg's parents were religious. I won't tell you what kind of religion. I don't want to offend anybody, but they were religious. And uh, Eileen and Jeff started, and Greg would come to our house and hang around with the family, and we would take him down to the Dandelion, which was a Christian coffee house, and they'd see Christian movies. And something was happening in Greg's heart that was wooing and drawing him to Jesus. And the parents didn't like it. They could see it, and they didn't want him to go to the farmer's house. They didn't want him uh, to get involved. And there was strong, strong resistance from the religion. You had to break through that. And breakthrough God did by the power of the Spirit. He actually, we, we had to move shortly after that, and we moved to Eugene, Oregon, so I could be the president of the Bible College. And we heard from Greg and two of his friends, and they wanted to come to the school to Eugene and see their friends, Jeff and Eileen, which they did. And I had my uh, secretary set an appointment so the three boys could come in my office, and I was prepared. I had the whole plan of salvation on paper for them so each one could have it. And God was already working in their lives. It was just like fruit falling off a tree. Uh, and they all accepted Christ weeping. You know, Greg is a pastor today. Greg is a pastor today of an evangelical church preaching the Word of God. You have to fight for territory. I wish I had time to tell you the story of an entire organization, a very large 501c3 in Kansas. When I arrived there as the business manager, there were wild parties, there was uh, abuse of uh, people, there was changing of spouses, there was misallocation of grant funding, there was lack of integrity and in leadership. Uh, the day I arrived, the day after I arrived, the van that belonged to that organization was on the front page of the paper and it had been used in a, in a robbery and a heist. Somebody had loaned the van to another uh, folks and they used it. I mean, I walked into this hornet's nest of just yuck. I left 11 years later. When I, le when I, when I left, I was the president of the organization. The board of directors prayed. Many, many of my staff had been saved, baptized with the Holy Spirit. Many had had their lives totally transformed. It was a different organization. The kingdom of God advances and penetrates through violent force. It's not just the human status quo condition where you pray this little tame prayer. You have to battle. Some, some parents here have prodigal children. And you're weeping for them. You're crying for them. But Jeremiah gives us the promise in Jeremiah 31 that those prodigals can return from the land of the enemy. Do you know, I've been around church life now for, goodness, so many years. I've been a pastor to pastor for years. And I can tell you I've seen so many churches close it breaks my heart. I can't tell you how many churches I've seen split and close. I've seen churches become bars. I've seen churches become uh, businesses on a strip mall. I've seen churches become any number of things. But I have also seen 
the kingdom of God, take land and territory that belongs to the enemy through childlike faith and through violent force and win back for the kingdom those things that belong to him. Heaven is not just a place you go to when you die. It's also a realm of his present rule on earth. Kingdom citizens believe Luke 18, 27. What is impossible with men is possible with God. That's what kingdom citizens believe. Most of us pray for God to do a new thing in us, don't we? Most of us pray for God to do a new thing in us. We pray for God to do a new thing in our church corporately. But you know what? After we pray that, we limit God to move in our present experience and our present understanding. We put boundaries on God. We put limits on God. Have you ever heard someone say this? God doesn't work that way. Have you ever heard someone say, God would never do that? God would never do that. Sounds a little bit like Michael, David's wife, right? When he put on the priest's tunic and danced in front of the, you know, she's standing afar off in the distance and David is dancing with all of his might like a child in front of the ark, bringing the presence of God back to the, back to the house of God. No one had ever seen a bush burn. No one had ever seen a bush burn. But the Scriptures say it drew Moses. He left his paradigm of experience, and he stepped out of himself into a whole new experience, and he went to see why the bush wasn't consumed. Nobody had seen anybody walk on water before, had they? No. But Jesus said, don't be afraid, it's me. Now, there were 12 men there in the boat, right? And they all had a decision to make. And only one was childlike. Only one. He gets the rap for being the bad disciple. You know, he's the one that betrayed Jesus three times. He's the one that was the bull in the china shop. We're talking about Peter. Petros, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. For I've given you the keys of the kingdom. I would rather sink in the water than sit in the boat. I may lose my gaze on him, but he won't lose his grip on me. The presence of God and the power of God, which is the kingdom, they intersect at a junction called childlikeness. And all through Scripture that is repeated over and over and over as we are called upon to defy logic not to judge someone else's experience because we haven't had it. Don't dismiss it as extreme and not of God. Keep your heart free. God is in the business of moving us from the status quo to new encounters with him. I'm just going to close with an illustration that I have because it's so beautiful. And I've had it now for two weeks, and I can't stand to let it go another week. This is taken out of uh, Alice Gray's book called More Stories for the Heart, and it's called Autumn Dance. It's written by Robin Gunn. Um, I'm sure it'll move you like it's moved me. Robin Gunn writes, The young woman stood a short distance from her guardian at the park this afternoon. 
her distinctive features revealing that although her body blossomed into young adulthood, her mind would always remain a child's. My children ran and jumped and sifted sand through perfect coordinated fingers. They were caught fighting over a shovel. They didn't notice when the wind changed, but she did. A wild autumn wind spinning leaves into amber flurries. I called to my boisterous son and jostled my daughter and said, Time to go. Mom still has a lot to do. My rosy-cheeked boy stood tall, all of a sudden watching with wide-eyed fascination the gyrating dance of the Down syndrome girl as she swooped up leaves and showered herself with a twirling rain of autumn jubilation. With each twist and every hop, she sang a deep, earthly grunting sound, a canicle of praise meant only for the one whose breath causes the leaves to tremble from the trees. Hurry up, let's go, seatbelts on. I started the car. In the rearview mirror, I study her one more time. Now, though, it's through misty eyes. And then tears start to come. They are not tears of pity for her. They are tears for me. For I am far too sophisticated to publicly shout praises to my creator. I am whole and intelligent and normal. And so I weep because I may never know the severe mercy that frees such a young woman and bids her come dance in the autumn leaves. I think I'll just close with prayer this morning. Father, we want to dance in the autumn leaves. At least I do. I want to dance in the autumn leaves. I want to lift my hands to you, Lord. I want to twist and shout and twirl. I want to romance you. I want to run with you. I want to extol you and praise you and magnify you and bless you. For I stand in awe of you, Lord. Your love is more than I can comprehend, and your faithfulness endures through all generations. Lord, my prayer is that Celebration Center will truly become a place of celebration where people can be free from all the barriers and hindrances and strongholds that attack us in life. And that we can rise and walk in heavenly places in Christ, seated at the right hand of the throne. No matter what's going on in the valley, Lord, we will walk in victory and rejoicing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Show us how to be childlike in our faith. Strip from us, Lord, self-consciousness and timidity and let us break free to lift our hands to the Lord, to worship you extravagantly. For we love you deeply, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' wonderful name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You are dismissed.